Please turn in your Bibles to the book of James. <clears throat> We're beginning a new series today, and uh, we will be in this book for a while. I want to tell you we're only going to hit one verse today and we'll, we'll move more quickly than that after today. Uh, there will be uh, more like sections. But as uh, we start into this book, I have to tell you that uh, it's one of my favorites. Now, when people ask me what my favorite book is, uh, typically I will say, Whatever book I'm uh, preaching from at that moment is my favorite, but uh, earlier in my ministry, I've preached through the book of James, and I've taught through it a number of times, but as I have gone back and uh, reread it a number of times in preparation for uh, this new series, uh, I'm reminded uh, what, a, what a great book it is. And what I love about the book of James is how very practical it is. Uh, there is deep theology here, but it is theology that touches our life. It's right theology that, uh, when rightly understood, will have an impact upon our life. And it hits, hits uh, everything from dealing with trials to uh, how we speak to one another to how we treat one another uh, to prayer and uh, uh, various other aspects. And so uh, I'm looking forward to this book with real anticipation. Let's bow together. Lord, we do now in these moments ask for you to speak to us. We desire to hear from you. We thank you for these truths unchanged from the dawn of time and yet applying to our lives at whatever stage we are in, whatever age we are, however long we have known the Lord and even speaks to those who don't know you yet. And so we pray that you would open our minds to you and our hearts and our lives. We look to you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. James is uh, sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Now, if you ever look into the Old Testament, into the Proverbs, you will see a lot of great statements, but sometimes you may look at them and say, well, I don't see how that verse relates to the next one. Now, in the Old Testament, Proverbs is poetry, and James is not poetry, and yet some would say he virtually rambles at times and doesn't follow through on subjects and hits one and then moves on to the next one. We are going to see a little bit of that. And yet, uh, it is a book that is so very practical in dealing with our everyday life. Now, I want us to do a little background, as you always need to do when you look into, um, when you begin a new series or you begin to study of a uh, book. In terms of the author, it was James, the brother of Jesus. Now, apparently, he was an unbeliever at first during Jesus' ministry. He 
came to Christ after Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, and resurrected. James was one that he appeared to. And evidently, James, at that time or somewhere around there, came to know Christ, not just as his brother, but truly as his Lord and Savior. He became a leader in the early church. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. He was known for his piety, for his holiness. Uh, He became known as James the Just. Not by him. He didn't call himself that. But by others. And and here's why. Uh, We look back at one of the early historians, uh, Eusebius, and he was recording the testimony of another one about James. And this is what he, he says. That James used to enter alone into the temple and be found kneeling and praying for forgiveness for the people so that his knees grew hard like a camel's because of his constant worship of God, kneeling and asking forgiveness for the people. So from his excessive righteousness, what a strange term, (laughs) excessive righteousness, he was called the just. So here is James. Can you imagine being on your knees so much that they took on the appearance of camel's knees because they got so tough and calloused because of spending time like that. That's the person that we are listening to here. Uh, It was written early in uh, church history, probably between 40 and 50 uh, one of the earliest, I would, I'd put it probably closer to 50 in my uh, research, but it was written to, it wasn't written to a town, it wasn't written to an individual like some of the pastoral epistles, it wasn't written to a church like uh, Ephesians or Philippians, some of the, uh, those epistles, but instead it was written to, as we will see, the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Who are they? Well, if you look back into history, you see God's people at one point, uh, they are a nation, they travel together, they, uh, they live together and so on, and then they are dispersed, taken into captivity and uh, ultimately freed and then dispersed. So they were all over the place. So that while there might have been a lot of uh, uh, Jewish people, for instance, in Jerusalem, there were also ones in various areas. This is who he's addressing. He is Jewish himself, and he is addressing those who were Christians with Jewish background. In terms of a a key text, I would uh, choose James 2, verse 17. Look at that. He says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, we're not going to address that today. But I want to tell you right up front, we'll spend a good bit of time on that. But I don't want you to think for one second that James 
believed that you were saved by your works. His emphasis, that's not what he says there, his emphasis is that your faith, if it is genuine, will work itself out. It will have an impact on your life. It is not an intellectual faith. It's not just something you know about. It is something that every day should have an impact upon everything you do, how you treat people, how you speak, how you pray, how you um, uh, relate to others around you, how you deal with life, the good times and the difficult times. And so that would be our, our theme, is our faith, if it's genuine, will work itself into our actions. That's why I've called this series Real-World Faith. It's very practical how he is addressing that. Look in your Bibles, James 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness fastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing this is the word of the lord now let's take a look at uh, <clears throat> james in a, a little more depth here because uh, what i want us to see is that he deals with his identity right up front. That's why we're going to kind of camp on this uh, first verse. Uh, what, what we're going to see is that he is about to tell them how to deal with trials. He's going to give them some very practical advice in a lot of different areas, and that advice is for us as well. But I am convinced that it is his understanding of who he is in Christ that makes all of this advice more than just advice, more than just worldly proverbs that you could uh, deal with and put into your life with or without Christ, which would just be moralism. And there are some that would uh, see, for instance, the book of Proverbs or some of the things in the book of James, they'd say, well, that, you know, that, my life would be better if I just went that route. And so I'm going to do that. But it cannot, it absolutely cannot be sustained until we understand who we are in Christ Jesus. And that's where we see James beginning. Now, look at what he calls himself. He, his identity is as a servant. Other translations may say slave or bond slave or bond servant. And he's saying that that's who I am. I am a slave of Christ. Now, I've got to stop right there because if you were paying attention during Advent... We spent the majority of one of my messages in 
Galatians 4, talking about how we're no longer slaves, but we're a son. In Galatians 4, verse 7, Paul says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And I I fleshed that out. I talked about uh, uh, the downside, obviously, of being a a slave. And so here's the question. Well, is... uh, it, it, does James just have a low self-image here? Or is he, does, would he disagree with what Paul's saying there about us being sons? Why does he emphasize when he is speaking to this group of people that he is a slave? Well, I think his point is that... Uh, uh, as a, a slave or a, a bond servant, although it, it initially was a very negative thing, it came to be one who gives themselves to their master. And that's what he's emphasizing here. A couple of things. One is that at, at one point I was a bond slave of someone else. Now I am of Christ. Who was the other one? Well, of Satan. So that was my identity before as a slave of Satan, but that's changed. Now I'm a slave of Christ. But the difference is this. Because of Jesus and what he did for me, he redeemed me, he bought me with the highest possible price, and that was his own life, giving his life on the cross for me. And because of that, I now identify myself with him as my master. And I do that willingly. That's the difference between a slave that is dragged into something, sold into something, and one who here says, this I choose to give myself willingly to this master. Why is that so significant? Well, because of the other ways he could have identified himself. And so some of what he's saying here is by what he doesn't say. Let me give you several examples. He is saying that as a servant, he is more a a servant of Christ, identifying himself more in that realm than his family relations. Now, I already told you that Jesus, uh, he was Jesus' younger brother. Now, some have speculated that, well, this, this had to be, have been another James. Because surely if this was James, the brother of the Lord, he would have said so. He would have identified himself way, that way. But that's the point. Is that he's not talking about his relation in that way, because that's secondary. His family relationships are secondary in this. Jesus was the oldest, of course. James was the oldest of the other brothers. Probably the spokesman when in John 7, the 
it says that his, uh, his family came to him and said, why don't you show us your miracles? Speaking from a point of unbelief, this James, the resurrected Savior, appeared to. Later, he became a leader of the early church. But he says, my identification, when I'm presenting myself to you, you who I'm writing this letter to, my identification is not because I'm Jesus' half-brother, but my higher claim is that I'm his servant. And then secondly, he didn't say, he didn't emphasize his own ethnic relations as being uh, the way he wanted to identify himself. Now again, I mentioned to you, he's speaking to Jews, those of the 12 tribes. He himself is a Jew, and he could have easily said, now look, as, as a Jew... To you, my fellow Jews. And that would have meant something to them. Some of them would have said, oh yeah, he's one of us. I'm going to listen to him because of that ethnic relationship we have with him. But he doesn't do that. Now, a couple of applications here. Depending on where you've been in our country, and you can see it some around here, you may see churches that emphasize, firstly, their ethnicity. You might see, for instance, a a Greek Orthodox church, a Polish Catholic, a Hungarian Reformed, you know, there's various kinds of churches like that where the, the first thing that causes them to come together is what country they're from, originally at least. That's their ethnicity. James would say, no. You got it backwards there. Don't identify yourself first with some kind of an ethnic relation. Because Your first and foremost identity, if you belong to Christ, is as a citizen in his kingdom. And that relates a little closer to home, to us as well. Now, I want to preface this by saying there is nobody in this room that loves our country more than I do. And as I've traveled to other parts of the world, it has just increased my gratitude that I live here, the freedoms that we have, the joy we have to be able to gather like today. But there's a problem when at any point, American becomes our first identity. You see, that's what makes Christians different. We are Americans, of course we are, and we should never be ashamed of that, but that should not be our first identity, and the more we understand that our first identity is who we are in Christ, and then secondly, what country we belong to, the more unity we will have with believers around the world, those in Haiti, those in Ukraine, those in England, when we go there Our first identity should always be 
that we are citizens of the same uh, world, and that is the kingdom of God. That should be our emphasis. That's what James is saying here. And then, thirdly, another thing that he didn't say had to do with his own ministry position or his position that he had attained. He didn't emphasize that. His identity was as a servant, not as a leader in the church. Look how James is spoken of in Galatians 1.19. This is Paul. He says, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now others saw him as a, a leader. In fact, he became uh, the spokesman, the moderator, if you will, of the Jerusalem Council. Now, let me explain that. In Acts chapter 15, we have an early council of the church. There was a theological issue, and what they did, by the way, this is where we get our Presbyterian form of government. This is one of the passages that we look at, uh, and we have patterned after that. There was a theological issue, and they called the elders from the various churches together to discuss this issue. And they discussed it, and then they came to a conclusion of what what orthodoxy was, what was true. And then they went back to their churches, and they taught it, and they said, this is what, uh, what is true, and we have come to agreement on. James was the spokesman for that group. We see that as uh, roughly a parallel with our presbytery or general assembly. But we see James presiding over that. So he could have easily, when he uh, wrote this letter, said, I, James, leader of the church, moderator of the Jerusalem council, if it had happened by now, or or something along those lines, and emphasized his own position. Let me tell you a little uh, secret about pastors, things pastors like to do when they get together. You're just like early church. People are grinning when they hear that. It's like, oh, this is going to be juicy. We're going to find out an inside secret. Here's something that uh, a lot of pastors like to do, and I call it, Measuring their hat sizes. Pastors will get together and they'll, they'll, you know, kind of subtly at first, but ask questions like, so, how many members you got? How many you got on Sunday morning? How many is in your youth group? What was your budget? Questions like that. And I've always despised that little game. Now, I have to tell you, I've, I wondered when I was in more medium-sized church, did I despise the game because there were churches bigger than me? Guys with bigger hat sizes? But I'll tell you, I still despise that game. I was, it was so refreshing. Last week I was at some meetings down in Florida and... Uh, the, the guys, there were all sized churches there, but there were some that we would call mega churches, uh, some on the large side, some medium, and some small. But most of them were our size uh, and some larger. 
and there was no talk like that. It was so refreshing. Guys weren't worried about that. They were fellowshipping on another level there. And you see, James would say, it's not about our position. It's not about what you've achieved. And let's take it out of the church realm. That's true with you as well. Your identity must not be by how much money you make. By being the owner of a company or having a low identity because you're not in the job you want to be in. Or uh, how much retirement you got or anything like that. For the believer, those must not be how we identify ourselves. A servant of Jesus Christ. Now, Look at uh, what James goes to in terms of how he identifies himself. He has ruled out uh, family position, ethnicity, ministry position, things he's achieved. he's, He's evidently said those are not important as we go into these important issues that I'm going to talk about here. He said, "Here's here's all you need to know about me. And then he said, James... Servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you need to know about me, he says. Now, here's a question, though. Why does James use such a phrase? Servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, in, taken out of context, that could be a heresy, splitting them up that way. As if God and the Lord Jesus Christ were something different. Why didn't he say, James, servant of the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? But he says, servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it was because of who he was writing to. He was saying for those with Jewish background, we we believe in the one God. We are monotheists, servant of God. And then he got more specific of who that is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Emphasizing where his identity was. Now quickly, just break that down. You have Jesus emphasizing his humanity. He was fully human. Jesus was a common name in that day. It's not common in our day, at least not in our country. There's some countries where more people name their their sons that. But in that day, there were lots of Jesus around. Emphasizing he was fully human. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. To the Jew who was taught the Old Testament, they would say, anointed one like our high priest who is anointed by God. We are waiting for the Messiah, for the Christ. And James is identifying to those with similar background. This is him. He is fully God. 
fully man and fully God. And then he calls him Lord. For James, I believe that's why he didn't emphasize, let me tell you who my brother or my half-brother is. He said, let me tell you who my Lord is. That was his identity. So what's all this mean to us? Well, let's start with what it meant to James. He understood that it wasn't about him or his credentials or his qualifications or his ethnicity or anything else he brought to the table. It's not about me, James would say. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and my identity in Him. And that made all the difference in the world. He was about to talk about going through trials. And the only way we get through trials, the only way we stand through trials, is as we are related to the Lord Jesus Christ. Put yourself in Haiti at this moment as a believer. Virtually impossible to imagine, but we've all seen images. Imagine you are a Haitian believer. If you were taught this brand of Christianity, it's all about you. In Christianity, your needs will be met. Your wants will be taken care of. God will always make it best for you. It's all about you. If you are taught that today, I believe you would be walking around saying Christianity doesn't work. But if you understood It's not about me. It's about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ who is always good regardless of circumstances. And even though we go through this difficult time, He is here with us. Your response would be what we are seeing among many believers in Haiti and that is flooding the streets and praising God. Those who are standing next to their churches that are in ruins and having a service of worship and giving Him the glory. You see, that's the difference. That's why our identity must be in Him. And for James, he faced the ultimate test. He had a a powerful ministry, but he died the death of a martyr at the hands of the scribes and Pharisees. Some would say his own people. But his identity was sealed at the end of his life. He won the martyr's crown and he entered heaven once and for all, sealing that his identification in life and death was as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was faithful to death and that is our calling as well. Not just to to live for him a few years as if it's a phase in our life, but to persevere 
to endure, to finish strong. You know, I've got to make things simple for myself sometimes. You know what my goal is? It's fairly simple. It's a big one, but it's fairly simple. My goal is at the end of my life, whenever that is, that I will die having been faithful to the Lord, to my wife, and to my calling. That's it. But I know full well, I cannot possibly do that in my own strength. May God help us to see our identity, our strength, is always and only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together.